Welcome to Tour Talk Golf Podcast, where we walk the walk. Now let's talk the talk, a podcast dedicated to bringing you, the listener, the latest news, views and interviews from the world of golf. I'm your co-host, Sean McBride, together with my wife, Maria. We share our Inside the Ropes experience on all major golf tours. It's a Mother's Day edition. Welcome, Maria. Thank you very much. Yes, yeah, so much fun to be here on uh, Mother's Day. We've had a great day together as a family, and um, we decided to have the podcast today because we're a little bit busy tomorrow, so we're recording it today, but obviously um, it's going to come out on, on Tuesday. But I hope everybody had a great Mother's Day, and uh, all the mothers out there or becoming a mother or anything like that, you just enjoy your time. Yeah, a, uh, a great day. Mother's Day is always a fantastic and special day for families to get together. We did that at Bay Hill where we're lucky to be members and it's always a great uh, a great Mother's Day spread they put on um, where we enjoy every year. So obviously um, there's been a lot going on in the world of golf. We're always trying to stay abreast of everything. Um, I have noticed in the last well, probably two or three weeks um, you kind of doing some secret practice, you're leaving the house, you're coming back, you got your golf clubs <laughs> in your hand. Um, you know, those golf clubs had to be dusted off. You're two or three years into retirement and for some reason you've been doing this secret practice. So what yeah. what are you doing? Where did it lead to? What were you up to? I don't know. I wouldn't say it's a secret practice because obviously <laughs> you've seen me, seen me come and go. But um, I have uh, been practicing a little bit more, yeah. Um, I had... Um, Actually, before COVID and everything, uh, I've been very, well, kind of unlucky to have, I've had two stress fractures in my foot, my left foot. And then in uh, August last year, I was out walking the dogs and uh, the dog came loose and it pulled one of our dogs. So I tore my ligament in my index finger, which wasn't too great. (laughs) So so you're telling me that for 20 years on the LPGA Tour, you went injury-free. Yep. And then within two or three years of retirement, Mm. we've done stress fractures in the foot. We've ripped a ligament off the bone with the finger and the dog. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, that's been good. So yeah. finally uh, healed and feeling great. And um, so I decided to actually sign up for the U.S. Open qualifier mm. in uh, Gainesville. Last Monday? Uh, yes, last Monday yep. in Gainesville, Florida. So it was, uh, I at least one needed to get some sort of game together to go there and play. I didn't want to go there and just play you know, just playing. Yeah. Uh, that's not me. So I wanted to get some practice done and then go out there and play. And it was uh, it was fun. It was really fun, actually, to get back to the competitive part again mm. of of playing. So and, there was an agenda behind this practice. We had, have we discussed the fact that this could have been an interruption <laughs> to our lifestyle, a schedule that if you got into the US Open that you're going to go and play in the US Open? Did we, yes. We didn't discuss this, did well, we? Well, we have discussed it and... Uh, a daughter is, you know, finally old <laughs> enough so she understands that sometimes I can go and play some golf. So she, um, you know, she she's like, oh, well, whatever you're doing, just come back as quick as you can. So it was, um, you know, drove up there on, on Sunday, played a practice round and um, played the next day. But the I think the biggest thing was, obviously, it was really hot. It was like 92 or 93 degrees. Yep. And... Uh, USGA has a, a great rule where you can't uh, use a cart, so you mm. have to walk. So there was 36 holes walking, 
which I have not walked 36 holes in a long time. A little, a little battle fatigue, maybe. Did you, um, you know, in getting back into competition, because it's in your blood, right? So you, for playing for so many years and being so successful on the LPGA Tour, you know, there's nothing better than still getting out and playing competition golf. So tell us some scores and then tell me, tell me some experience about what you've seen. Did you see some familiar faces? Were there some young whippersnippers getting around where you're like, I remember being that age, but what about some scores? Because they were pretty yeah. respectable. They were not too bad, actually. I um, The qualifying score was three under, yep. so the course played fa- fairly tough. The green the green areas was, was really difficult. But I, um, so I shot seven over, but I was five over the first nine of the first round. Nerves? Uh, a little bit, yeah. It was a little tighter, so it wasn't as easy and... It was, um, I wasn't great as well, wedges. My wedges was actually terrible that mm. first, um, first round, which is. Which was a great strength of your game for all those years. Yeah, it was, it was good. Um, well, one of the better parts anyway. Yep. So, but the sec- last 27 holes was actually plus two. So I was okay. very happy with that. Um, and yes, they're, they're, oh my gosh, they're so young out there. I can definitely be their mom almost. There, there are so many out there that are just, finishing off high school going into college and it's just oh wow you got so much ahead of you are they young or we're old um both probably <laughs> <laughs> we could we could almost be their parents i mean some of them are almost like our daughter's age so it's yeah. it's weird in that regard yeah the average age now of uh particularly on the women's circuit um of girls and even in this situation where they're trying to do a one-off qualifier for the u.s open the biggest tournament on the on the women's circuit. Um, so a lot it, of amateurs yeah, as well, Yeah, a lot of, lot of college kids trying yeah. to just tear it up and have a go. So it's great, you know, um, the two girls that got through, congratulations to them. There was a bunch of other qualifiers around uh, the country on that particular day. There was other qualifiers yeah. uh, throughout the throughout last week, really. We had a couple of students uh, that I look after. One's a, a really good player, freshman at USF. She went to a qualifier. She also came close but didn't get through. And I had another student... Um, He's got a different dynamic. He's a, a late bloomer in regards to trying to play the game. Um, he's kind of improved a lot over the last uh, couple of years, and he tried his hand at Canadian Q School, which was um, a challenge in itself. He's probably not ready to go to a Canadian Q School, but the experience was so invaluable for him. We always you know, walk this fine line between encouraging players to pursue their dream and pursue the next challenge, but... You're always a little concerned. Are their confidence going to get knocked if they go and uh, discover something that's probably a level above where they really are? Have you got an opinion yeah. on on that? Well, I, I think really, you, you I think you just have to go and try because you never know. Because everybody's in the same situation. Well, some of them might have done it a few times, especially when you come to pro, pro circuits, where they might have done Q schools plenty and plenty of times. But I think you you just got to go and try and, and see what happens because you might have, you know, the best four rounds, usually it's four rounds for those or even five rounds. And you never know what, what's going to happen. So I think it's a great experience because you always learn something. You always realize, okay, my driving wasn't up to to par or my my putting was really bad or I, I had really big trouble with the Bermuda grass that we have down here in Florida yeah. and things. So there's a lot of... Yeah, a lot of little challenges and especially a mental challenge to go and do it because it can be, for some, it might be um, the end of their career or so because they, they really want to, they need to go somewhere, they need to 
have somewhere to play. So if they don't make it on tour, then what are they going to do? So it's it's very tough, but I think it's important that you do to see where you stand. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that we um, stood for when we, when we decided to um, try to influence the next generation of player coming through, through your experience as a player and mine as a caddy coach, was making sure the little things are done for these players that we felt like along the way um, sort of get swept under the carpet in the golf industry. So case in point, um, this student that I, that I look after, his scoring average here in Florida on the Moonlight Tour is just around about 74.5. Um, so his expectations needs to be in line with where his ability of uh, his learning curve is. So when he goes to Canadian Q School and he shoots 12 over par over four rounds, he's obviously very disappointed. Now, yeah. as a coach, it's really important to not just have a, I think, not just have a simple uh, conversation and then get back into the next uh, bunch of training and improvement it's really important to have a debrief and almost you know exhale and have a nice conversation about it i actually chose to do it away from the golf course so the player actually you get get the best version of the player there they're the the most reflective on what the week was if you do it um, at a golf course there's already stimulation about him him or her wanting to hit more golf balls and start again but there definitely needs to be a uh, and this is lacking in golf a little bit i find where it's really important as a coach to make sure that the player understands that they've tried to work towards something, whether they were successful or they didn't quite get it. Make sure you have a nice little relaxed debrief afterwards, particularly away from the golf course as far as I'm concerned. Um, so when you put things in perspective for him, he was really disappointed. But um, when you lay out the statistics and say, look, you average 74.5 here at the Moonlight events in Florida, these familiar golf courses, now you've had to travel he told me about some of the um, logistical issues up in Canada uh, regarding transportation, and it just brought back a lot of memories about what we dealt dealt with on the tour. But yeah, yeah. he's now gone and averaged that right. um, in another country on on a different golf course. So tick tick tick, it's a it's a big sign of improvement. And I'm looking for him to kickstart a new sort of improvement plan now that he realizes his game can actually travel to another country. I think that's important, right? Yeah, absolutely. We, because you know that wherever you're going to go and and play it can be out of the country and even if you're if you're playing in Europe like I did the first two years of my professional career yes you're in Europe but Europe is not one country they have a lot of countries so you're going to different countries but you're you're in Europe but you're have to travel adapting yeah you have to adapt Mm. there's different cultures there's different food there's different type of rental cars or whatever it is so it's very important to to always adjust, especially as a golfer, I think. Yep. Now, speaking of um, Europe, Spain in particular, uh, does the game travel? Does this person's game travel? It would be wrong of us not to go over some results that happened between our introduction podcast. And we do hope everybody listened to our introduction podcast and got a, got familiar with what our backgrounds are so they understand that we're talking from a very credible source of being a former player and professional caddy from inside the ropes. But John Rahm, another victory. So his game yeah. does travel. This guy um, is the number one player in the world or, you know, as close to it as you could possibly think of. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's, I mean, he's played well for for so long so, now like once even when he got got out and and started playing on the PJ tour he just racked out great plays straight from the start goes to mexico uh, 2 weeks ago now because as we as we speak um 
you know, the, the latest PGA Tour event uh, is just being ran and won by Max Homer. And we'll discover that, dis- discover and talk about that in a little second. But John Rahm goes to Mexico two weeks ago. Uh, so his game travels, right? So it's victory number seven, yeah. worldwide victory. So seven on the PGA Tour, six worldwide, one other. I'm not too sure where that is. Right. Um, so John Rahm wins. Always great to see John uh, play well and win. He's leading into, you know, defending his US Open later this year. So I'm sure he wants to stay on top of his game. Yeah, definitely. I did see that week. John Rahm finished first and then tied for second was Tony for now. Now here's another guy that has a lot of people talking about him being a multiple winner at some particular stage. He keeps knocking on the door. And I did I did right. hear when uh, they talked about John Rahm and Tony Fennell before they went to Mexico, they practiced uh-huh. together at Silverleaf in Scottsdale. Now, we yeah. have some ties to Silverleaf. Can you remember practicing and playing back there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And they, we used to live in Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, and we used to – I used to be – a well, we were lucky enough to be members at Silverleaf. Yep. They just opened when we lived there. Well, you were the so, member. Well, I was member. And I was riding you. your coattails. <laughs> yes. Because that's what caddies do, right? Well, of course. Caddies boyfriends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were, you know, very lucky to be there at that golf course. And it was a great facility. Exclusive really, club. Yeah, really, designed, really nice. Designed by, can you remember? Tom Weisskopf. Tom Weisskopf. We yeah. actually played with him that on one particular day. Don't we did, yeah. He was a nice guy. Really, really nice guy. And was still was great. He was still a good player then. Um, yeah. So all the best to Tom so Weisskopf as well. If he uh, happens to be listening to this golf podcast, yeah. he knows yeah. um, um, that we really cherish that day that we played with him. He gave us some great insight on some of the history and battles he did with Jack Nicholas back in the day. So Silverleaf, right. um, funny enough, back in February I was on the LPJ Tour and I got talking to... Uh, Anna Norquist, another Swedish major champion. Yeah, yeah. And Anna was talking about the fact that she also practices at Silverleaf. Mm. Have a guess what she told me the initiation fee currently stands at for an average member to join Silverleaf. Oh, wow. Yeah, there will be, I would assume, quite a lot. Um 110,000? Yeah, I thought it was going to be about that as well. So this was back in February. It's now 300,000 plus, um, which was just, you know, if somebody can afford to pay that and they, um, (laughs) I don't know what their meal allowance is to be able to be paying that, but that's that's serious cash that they're throwing out of the That is a lot. Wow. Yeah, so an exclusive golf club. But it was interesting to see that Rahm and Fanau and Nordquist, they all practice at this silver leaf. And I do Mm. remember back then it was really – it really, back in the 2001 year, era, um, yeah, yeah. it was really one of the first golf courses that was starting to allow, because it had only just been built by White Scott, yeah, so it was allowing yeah. tour pros to come and practice. Now it's obviously mm. a familiar, familiar haunt for everybody. So John yeah, Rahm, Mexico yeah. winner. You also seen uh, a really good story in the LPGA? Yeah, with uh, Marina Alex, who pulled off a win, and that was, um, it was a, a Palos Verde championship. She... Um, she had a great last round, obviously, and um, she she won. It was a second win on the LPGA Tour. But it's an amazing story and kind of a little comeback story in a way because she had a herniated disc. Um, that was uh, in two, 2021. So during COVID, she, I guess, you know, the, sometimes you can't really, they had some cancellations of tournaments. So she started to work out a bit more. So she worked out two times a day, but she didn't really do much other activities. Mm. And because of that, 
she herniated her disc, which is obviously terrible for a golfer. But she came back, obviously had a lot of recovery, a lot of things, and she felt coming into this year that she didn't know how long is she going to play for, what is she going to do. So she's kind of said that I was, I'm going to put everything in this year and see if I can get some good results coming back. So she changed coach and she's now working with uh, Claude Harmon. She is. Yeah. And um, so she obviously has uh, done some great changes and it's amazing to see that she came back from from that, which is really hard as a golfer to come back when you have a back injury. Yeah, I mean, Claude, Claude um, obviously has a great reputation off of his family name and is also a you know, highly respected instructor. It's, what would be interesting is what version of Marina Alex came to Claude because before Claude was the familiar uh, name of Ian Triggs in Australia that Marina was using as a coach. And um, because of COVID, Ian wasn't able to come from Australia to America as much anymore. They were trying to do long-distance sort of instruction over um, all the... FaceTime and everything. FaceTime and that, and it just become too hard. And then, of course, like you said, she went and overtrained a little bit. Um, COVID continues to have restrictions uh, for some sort of travellers, particularly in and out of Australia, a little bit. So Ian hasn't made it over here as much. She needed... uh, uh, a new set of eyes. Claude's obviously gone and um, done some work with her. I just wonder what sort of version came to Claude. Is it just, did he have a clean uh, blank slate to work with because of the injury or did she have some really good foundations from Ian that he's just continued to make better? We don't know that, no, but they've no, both done a really know. good job and, and it's yeah, a really good story yeah. to see. So It is a good story. And obviously the LPGA has got a week off this yeah. week. There's no, well, this week, the last week that was on and, um, but they have a lot of traveling coming up. The LPGA, it seems like sometimes their schedule is, becomes a little scattered throughout the country. So they're playing in New Jersey this coming week and then they're going back to Nevada and then they're going to North Carolina for the U.S. Open and then playing New Jersey. So they have a lot of traveling. Yeah. And also a very, very busy field, um, busy tournaments when it comes to, when it comes to majors, because they have the US Open is the second to fifth of June. And then the fourth to seventh of August, they have a British Open, but it's actually four majors within eight weeks. Yeah. Early June. does Does that dilute the importance? I don't know if it does or not, but I think it, it's, it might because it's hard to, it's hard to put a schedule to that as well because you want to play the majors, but then they're so close into each other that how, like, how do you, as, as with any sport, you're trying to peak for majors. And, uh, as a golfer, it's, it's hard to do, but especially when they're all so close together, it's, very, very hard. Yeah, I, think. I, I don't know. I've always felt like with the LPGA because they've had to, um, you know, fight for survival over the time with with sponsors and the importance of tournaments. They've named majors. They rename majors. Generally, I always felt when you're out in the LPGA, there was probably three staple majors, and that was the U.S. Open, British Open, and which was Nabisco slash. Yeah. What was yeah, the latest name for the Nabisco tournament? Well, it wasn't. A&A, a- wasn't it? Yeah, I don't, I don't, no, it was something They've else. changed it so many times. It's yeah, now moving yeah. to Houston, so it's actually moving location. So mm. it always felt like it was important, but um, it's only as important as you make it. 
does the golf course change that much for majors? It's starting to more and more for the LPGA, yeah. particularly yeah. the USGA standards that mm. they set. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more uh, as that tournament comes closer. One of the players um, that is always featuring in LPGA events, uh, whether it be major championships or normal tournaments, uh, is Lydia Ko. Now, going back a little bit to Marina winning two weeks ago, Lydia Ko came close to winning that tournament. And she gave a... I'm going to say a refreshing interview afterwards to Jerry Foltz. And Jerry's a fantastic commentator. Um, he's Mr. Smooth. He never gets flustered at all. I don't think he got flustered on this occasion. But the girls are always asked to provide more honesty in their, in their opinions after post-round, pre-round, pre-tournament, whatever. And then when Lydia explained her um, circumstance behind why she didn't play particularly well on this particular day or throughout the week... Um, well, it was it was Jerry's more a of stumped. well, it was more of because she had the physio come out and stretch yep. her yep. through the rounds. So obviously, asking after the round, uh, I mean, she still completed and she played really well, but asking, you know, do you have back issues? Do you have whatever issues? And she just said, it's the time of the month for women. So, so I get really tight hips. I just needed to stretch them out. So no. it was great to hear that she's actually honest and not scared of saying it. Not no, too many would say that. No, absolutely. She was she was honest. Um, she realised she'd put Jerry <laughs> Jerry in a bit of a position where he didn't really know what to ask next from there. But from from our point of view, that we um, you know as a player and a caddy on the tour for all those years, we understood and respected the fact, really respected the fact that that has a bearing on a player's well being. Uh, their performance, um, how they're going to feel throughout the course of four days um, every time that cycle comes around. So when a player's honest like that, it's actually fine because I think I think by saying that, um, that she's just very in touch, obviously, with her own body, but she's also sh- showing to everybody else and young junior girls out there, mm. this can affect your performance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's the, it definitely can. And I know a lot of players out there they just really lost their touch you know their their chipping was a bit off or their putting yeah coordination a little bit because you you can be really tired and some people get terrible migraines as well when they're you know the time of the month so there's a lot of things to think about for that for sure yeah there is i i can it for a um for a couple of girls over a few years where uh when that was happening Certainly, it's a very personal thing. That player doesn't have to announce it to me or explain it to anybody. But you can clearly tell that the coordination is not quite there as much as she would like. Um, her um, focus went in and out a little bit. The most important thing, if you're a caddy or a coach to those particular um, players, whether they be young junior girls or elite professionals, is make sure you support them. Uh, in regards to their decision making and their, their well-being and if they're honest enough to tell you hey this is going to be a bit of a tough week because of this situation it actually uh, relaxes the situation a little bit you're not guessing so much but it is a very sensitive subject and it's not to be um, it's not to be made as public public news but it was quite refreshing um I do remember when you mentioned migraines mm. when I caddy for kind of segueing away from the from the female cycle but right, to, right. On the PGA Tour, Bryce Mulder, when I caddied for him, now he used to struggle with migraines really badly. Um, and when they came on, and they came on a few times during a round of golf, at that particular point, he 
And I know for a fact after we got through the round, he would have to go back, go into the hotel room, turn off all the lights, lay on the floor, and he pretty much could not have any sort of light distraction into his eyes for somewhere between three to four hours and it may last the whole night. Right, and right, right. Yeah, it's How terrible. does that affect him on the golf course? Well, a couple of times at the John Deere Classic um, and another tournament I can't quite remember now, but when he told me this was happening, because um, clearly he wasn't functioning correctly, right. at that particular point he's not able to make the decisions that he would normally make and he was very, very astute with his golf course management. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. at that time I would just make my information very small and uh, articulate Yep. So very short to the point. So it wasn't a, a mixed message. And that made sure that the targets that he went for were quite big and vivid picture-wise because he was really struggling to visualise what he needed to do at that level. So, mm. look, we all struggle with different um, yeah, issues on the golf course. Yeah, I think sometimes too, though, for for if you have women or, or juniors or whatever and they have their coach there, their coach might get annoyed. It's like, why is she not focusing or why is she not turning good enough why is it timing off you can ask so many questions it might just be that time of the month so it's i think it's easy it's it's hard for like the coach might complain and they don't realize what's going on <laughs> it does take you back to a story i remember post caddying where i went and worked at one of the leading golf academies here in orlando um, because i'd been around female players at the highest level um there's open discussions about this between player and caddy and player and coach or whatever so right. and obviously with yourself being an elite level player we talked about this um as needed yeah on this yeah. particular occasion this coach was in charge of a uh one of the students she would have been about 15 and she was complaining about stomach cramps and uh this and that and she was her focus on practicing wasn't great so i was kind of listening at the well listening whilst I was coaching other people and he decided that it would be a good idea for her to go to fitness early and run laps. And um, I said to him afterwards, I said, hey, you've probably misread that situation a little bit. And um, he's like, what are you talking about? I said, I think you might find that she probably needed to do anything but that. She probably needed to go home, just relax. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, what? What, what? what do you think? I said, well, I think you'll find it might be this situation. Yeah. And he yeah. was like, no way, no way. Well, it turns out that um, – <laughs> that she went to mum and then mum came to the coach and said, hey, by the way, this my daughter was struggling with this yesterday. Yeah, she didn't right, want to right. say anything, but yeah. you didn't, she didn't need to go and start running laps around the basketball court. <laughs> so, um, look, I mean, when you're, when you're around, around, uh, around the cycle discussions on the yeah, tour, yeah. It's, it's an open discussion. It did throw Jerry Foltz for a little bit of a loop there, but it was, I thought it was really refreshing, really honest from Lydia yep. and well done for bringing it to uh, – any junior girl listening to her and getting right. inspired by her that it's okay to uh, deal with that on a on a weekly basis if it happens. So um, we are just seeing some results coming in as we talking here on this Mother's Day Sunday that obviously the latest result is Max Homer has won comfortably or well, two-shot victory uh, to make it his fourth victory on the PGA Tour. One of these one of these PGA guys where these his name keeps bobbing up. He's probably going to be a multi-millionaire. He's a multi-winner. These guys make incredible careers now. Uh, rounds of 67, 66, 71, 68. Two-shot winner over Matt, Matt Fitzpatrick, Cameron Young. Uh, Keegan Bradley was up there for a long time. Rory McIlroy, obviously. Uh, feel-good story, Stuart Sink. Stuart Sink. Stuart Sink ran a top 10. So another result on the PGA Tour goes to a player that's in 
probably red hot form and swings it fantastically well as well. Yeah, yeah, very. I mean, very balanced swing and so smooth. That Great that, tempo. Wasn't yeah, it? really good tempo. And considering the weather that they had there this week, he obviously had. I mean, perfect tempo for for that weather. I did see the so the weather. It's isn't it good to see the players um, battling some weather here in America. Normally, it's just stinking hot or it's raining, right? So during yeah, the well, summer. you always get thunderstorms and then they get cold off from the course, so you sure. see, never see them play in rain. So we got really. some wind happening today. Good golf course, by the way. Yeah. Um, uh, not familiar with it. I think it might be a new venue. Not too sure. Probably should have done my homework better on that, but I didn't. Um, but a good golf course to look at on the TV, I'm sure it would have been a great challenge, especially when eight under wins. So that means the weather is interluded or the quality of the golf course was there. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So another great victory. They go on to the Byron Nelson next week. Oh, I did a few Byron Nelsons in my time. And the golf course that we used to do it at was a, I think it was a DA Wybring design. It never had great reviews. Um yeah, wasn't a familiar, wasn't a popular place for my guy to go and play there. John Sennett and Bryce Mulder played there a couple of times, ran a couple of top 25s. Interesting. I don't know if they still do this. Um, maybe it was because Cadillac was a sponsor back then, but whoever won the tournament, the caddy got a Cadillac for a year. Yeah, that's kind of nice. Oh, it was great to be on the, <laughs> the PGA Tour back in those days, even yeah, more now. Even, so. Definitely, even more now. Hey, look, we're, we're going around uh, the golfing world. We've discovered a few things here and there, but what we want to try and bring to everybody if they start listening each week is we want to have this little segment and we're just going to discuss a few little off-topic conversations, things that have come to your mind, and we're going to call it the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, so the good, bad, and the ugly... So I will probably start. What is your good? What what have you seen within the industry that's got your attention that you think, you know, this is a good thing. This is a good this is a little good. I'm going to bring good. my good to my yes. podcast. So, it's actually what we discussed a little bit earlier with Marina Alex. I mm. thought that was great for her. She's a great person and to come back from something like that not knowing how, where am I going to go? What am I going to play? What am I going to do and then come back with a win? I thought was was my good. That was a good week. good. Yeah. yeah. So you've doubled up. You've you've, you've, yeah, got, you've doubled, doubled up. up a little you've gone bit. on last week's results for Maria. Now you've doubled up. But yep. I but I may be doing the same. Mm-hmm. Thing. But that's yep. a good good. Yeah. I'm going to match that good with Ricky Fowler. Now it's always great to see Ricky playing well. He's great for anybody to be watching him um, on the TV or live. Such a nice guy, by the way. Yeah, really. but they're now dads as well. So a lot uh, of them yeah, are. So yeah. they can change a little bit. A lot more rounded. He doesn't need to be mm. more rounded. He was a very consistently nice guy, a really good player. You know, he showed up a little bit on Thursday, 66, uh, leveled out a little bit, 72, 74, finished with a 68 today, I think. Uh, T21, he's, he's always constantly working on trying to get better. He does everything really well. I hope he uh, continues on this form and has a really good rest of the year. So a good good is to see Ricky Fowler back playing better. Right. So then the next one we have is a bad. So my bad, I think a little bit, is the new event that they played in Mexico. Right. So tell me more. The the event wasn't bad, obviously, but I feel so bad when they put up new events. And I know the PJ Tour has gazillion events, right? And they play for so much money. But they had two players in the top 25 that played. They had six players, 
um, five players in the top 100 and six players in the top, you know, two players in the top 10, six players in the top 25, five players in the top 100. Is that not good? 13 players in the world ranking in top 100 in the world ranking, only 13 players goes to this new event. That's officially bad. That's, a, that's I a bad. think that's bad. I think I, as a as a sponsor to the event, you know, the first prize was 1.374 million or whatever it is, right? <laughs> and they don't want to go there because obviously they're scheduling and they don't have to. They they have that rule on PJ that we have on the LPJ. You have to play one event years, every four years. Yeah. So they will get more players. But I just felt bad that it was, yeah, it was just 13 players out of top 100 in the world ranking that yeah. went to that event. That's a bad. And what could become even worse than a bad is if they keep overloading these PJ Tour schedules and you have these conflicting Rebel Tours that are gaining momentum, watch this space. My yeah. bad. This bad comes from just keeping my ears open to how there's a little bit of a bad habit of leading golf instructors interviewing former players and they discuss how things were back in that player's day and it normally gets around to the fact that they played more than what kids do today. Kids kids practice and practice and practice and don't play as much. Now, that argument yeah. is pretty valid. Yeah. But it does get me back to questioning that if you call yourself a coach and you're struggling with getting your players to play more, instead of encouraging them to be on the range and think more and more technical work and do more and more drills, that is your job as a coach to balance their schedule and implement the encouragement to get on the golf course and play more. You can't throw the kids under the bus these days and say, kids of today, all they do is practice, they don't play. If you're a coach and you're paid to be a coach from a player or a parent to coach their son or daughter, it's imperative that you identify this before it becomes an observation and make sure that playing on the golf course is the responsibility of the coach as much as it is the player. That is my bad. And I yes. hear it way too many times now. Yeah, but I can also see that the way of it's harder to get out on golf courses now as it mm. was before. Like when I st- How? When I started playing, there was no tee times. There was no, you know, lining up to go and play. You could mm. just go out and play whatever. You can start on hole number three if you wanted to because there was not that many people playing. Participation is a problem, you think? Well. It's healthy. Th- it's healthy, absolutely. It's great for golf. But I think it makes it harder for for juniors or, you know, people that want to play on the course with the coach. It's harder as well to get out there. It is harder. They get a little bit of break from me, but I just think that um, the conversation can be in these mediums that you hear a lot. Mm. Um, I just think it's important that those coaches, particularly if they're leading coaches, that they also don't necessarily make the kids sound like they're not applying themselves to learning their craft by being on the golf course. It's important to look for windows of opportunity and go and play. No, absolutely. That is my bad. Have you got an ugly for me? I do have an ugly, and I don't know if we both have the same kind of ugly, but uh, this Sergio and the rules official situation that happened. Sergio Garcia. Yes, Sergio Garcia. It's 
was... Where did this happen? What happened? Tell me about it. What was your ugly? Come on. Yes. So it was a terrible ruling mistake. So Sergio hits a shot. He pulls it left. It goes out into a hazard. And the um, he obviously can't find the ball straight away. So they start looking for it. And the official starts timing him when they start looking for it. Well, after a little... Well, obviously, you only have three minutes to look for a ball. But very quickly, the person that was helping out said the ball actually went over to the other side of this little hazard. hazard. So it's it's over there. So Sergio is trying to find a spot to get across to here. Yep. So the officials should not have started him timing him. And they only have now three minutes to look for the ball. Yeah, so before he even, well, he got there and found his ball and the official said, oh, sorry, it's too late. It's been past three minutes. Is that the ugly? Or is yes. there more to this? Well, it's kind of more to that as well. So Sergio obviously got very angry. Um, and <laughs> as Sergio does. Yeah, so he can. So And he happened to say he can't wait to get out of here and a couple more weeks and I don't have to deal with you, the officials. Or the tour. Or the tour, yes, because he's <laughs> leaning towards the other tour. <laughs> his, allegiance, <laughs> his allegiance may have been influenced by this decision, but um, it's Sergio. He runs hot with emotion. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't great. I don't know. Does it fall into an ugly? It sounded pretty ugly. I must. Admit, well, maybe. Yeah. 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 I just think the mistake as well that the officials did. Then obviously Sergio doesn't have to blurt that thing out. It was a soft. It was a soft, ugly, but it was ugly all round. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, so what's not your bad. ugly? Not bad. Um, my ugly. I'm doubling up here. Are you doubling up? Oh yeah. Okay. I'm going back okay. to something we mentioned at the start of the pod. Right. The USGA. Yep. And this ridiculous, archaic rule of making players have to walk, but the caddy can drive, drive the, the cart. golf cart. Yeah. Or the other ridiculous thing like. Whatever, the, whatever, my head explodes when it comes to dealing with the USGA and in this particular because it makes no sense. No. Nope. Um, Especially ha- not when, like, I go there and do qualifier and I have someone drive the cart for me. A friend of mine was driving the cart. Yep, she was caddying so, for you. Yeah, she was caddying. So the cart is there. It's, you know, three yards from my ball and all the time, but I'm not allowed to sit in the cart that is it's if you so sit weird. in the cart, you get a penalty. Yes, you can get DQ'd too. Right, so people who yeah. are not, people who are not familiar with this, because right. there may be parents out there who sign their son and daughter up for US Open qualifiers, uh, anything to do with the USGA. Yeah, amateurs, uh, amateurs or whatever it is. That, yeah, that's coming up. Right. And if you're not familiar with this, be very aware that the player cannot ride in the golf cart if you are driving the golf cart for them as their caddy. In fact, they can't even sit in the golf cart. They're no, gonna get not it. I think sit. it's two shots. Yeah. Whatever it is, it's ridiculous. Mm. Um, they Then they go on and they bleat and talk about pace of play. Well, you're not exactly helping it by having such a ridiculous, ugly, archaic rule. That's my ugly. That's good, bad, and ugly for this week. We're going to be back with more next week, but we hit it pretty hard this week, didn't we? Yes, we did. So we're just going to finish off with a couple of questions that some of our listeners have um, reached out to us uh, on our social media. Yep. So we're going to start with uh, Sam from Naples. He was saying that when if you're working somewhere, anywhere, it might be a, 
an office or might be a restaurant or whatever, you should not work together if you are married or uh, dating or so. <laughs> uh, so how did you two make it work? Sam, that was his question. Sam, <laughs> uh, yes, we've got to presume it's a, a male, Sam. Yeah, um, I, I would think so. Sam, let me tell you this. Uh, you've got to know your place. Um, if you <laughs> if you work with your wife uh, on a golf course under elite pressure, A, you better know what the hell you're doing and two, you better be able to bite your tongue because you are going to naturally and emotionally say things to your wife that you wouldn't say to any other player and she's going to say the same thing to you. I've been sworn at. I haven't been spat at or kicked at, but I've been sworn <laughs> at in Swedish and I just had to but, know my place and you just try and be as patient as you can with each other and the best mm. thing about it is something that we talked about earlier in the pod. At the end of the day, when you now spend even more time together, um, you've just got to have an open conversation about what you appreciated and didn't appreciate about, appreciate about the day and start again the next day. Yeah, but really leave it at the golf course as well so yeah, that you're, you know, you leave the golf at the golf course. So we that's really... <laughs> we, we, uh, we are aware of uh, some train wreck uh, relationships, husband, wife, boyfriend and girlfriend. They've tried it. It cuts costs. They think it's going to work. We've only seen some successful ones. It worked for us for a little bit. Um, in fact, it leads to one of my questions that it comes from Tommy from New York. He says, hey, interesting pod dynamic. I guess he's referring to us being husband and wife, um, player and caddy. Did this dynamic win together on the course? So it's a nice segue from how do we handle our time together to mm. was this successful? Well, we only did about five or six Maybe 10 events in total. Yeah, we didn't do, we didn't never work full time together. Because we enjoyed a successful marriage. Yes. But when so we, we did, did work together, <laughs> our ratio of success was pretty good. When we lost in a major championship playoff. Yeah. And yeah. one of the last events that we worked together was in Alabama. I was actually caddying on the PGA Tour. Your full time caddy couldn't make it from Europe for this particular week. Yeah. I had a week off. I come and caddy for you. You shoot bajillion under on the weekend and have a victory and at that particular point it came at a time where i thought i've won uh with other girls on the lpga i've won with the guys on the pga tour i've now won with my wife on the lpga tour it's 20 years i could pretty much hang them up right now so that was my my victory with you so we did mm. work well together when we worked yeah but i think maybe because it, we didn't do it full time so maybe that's why we worked together it kept it kept yeah. it fresh so yeah that was question from Tommy in New York. Thank you, Tommy. Yeah, and then we have uh, Kathy from Illinois. She says she loved hearing uh, or listening to the podcast, especially when there's a man and a woman and are the unique situation being a husband and a wife and player caddy. This is getting some love. I like this. Yeah, one. no, it's nice. And she was wondering what is an easy swing tip for a woman that is just starting out? Well, it would be wrong of me, even though I'm the coach instructor in the relationship, we to are. offer advice. Yeah. I think it's best to come from a woman, <laughs> and that's the great thing about this dynamic. Yeah. Well, Kathy, I think the the main thing is really the setup. Everything comes from setup in a golf swing. So if you have a good setup um, and Being a good grip, balance and alignment, balance and alignment, and a good uh, yeah, which is setup. And a good grip, mm. then you can you can 
come, um, you know, you can start to play golf and get some enjoyment from it. Yeah, male or female, but particularly, um, particularly if somebody's taking up the game at a little, a little more elderly age, should I say, where um, you know their body's not mo- the most athletically gifted or trained. Yeah, the fundamentals are really important because it sets the tone, it sets the foundation for decent swing dynamics so grip alignment setup uh, getting all your angles correctly you can speak to any instructor that if they don't teach that right from the start they're probably trying to overcoach. so make sure you get the fundamentals of the basic setup correct and then monitor them for the rest of the time you play golf because that's what you had to do and that's what everybody has to do yeah absolutely every day so yeah good question right. my final question yeah let's wrap it up here now this is an interesting question this is from frank in pennsylvania he says hey i listened to the podcast I want to know what's the intro music, and he also says outro music, before and at the end of the podcast. Now, let me fill in a little bit of a story there. That uh, This music that you'll hear, uh, if you haven't heard it, you would have heard it today at this podcast, and you'll hear it with every podcast. That is a guitar riff from, I'm lucky enough to get guitar lessons from um, a fantastic fantastic music teacher here in Orlando, Mike Walker at Dreamwalker Music. And I was fortunate enough to write some lyrics to a song about 18 months ago during COVID. We all did different things. Yeah, right. I wrote some lyrics. Mike laid down a a fantastic riff to it. It has a real great country Keith Urban feel to it. I was really proud of it. We talked to Mike about using it for our intro and outro. It has a really good punchy beat to it and tempo. So uh, the song is actually called Home Life. Um, we did hire a demo singer because my vocal cords aren't all that good. It's hard <laughs> enough learning guitar, let alone... Yeah, uh, we don't need to sing. hear that, I don't think. We don't need to hear it, no, but it's no. a great segue into closing it up for podcast number two. We're on a bit of a roll now, so Maria, lead us out. Yes, so we have uh, had a good time today. We covered a lot. We didn't think it was good. we were going to cover this much, but actually just, you know, you keep on talking and then all of a sudden you get into a lot of things. But... We just want to make sure that you continue to subscribe to our weekly podcast, that they follow us on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And um, yeah, make sure that you come back to us every Tuesday. We're going to roll another one out. Make sure we get it out there. It's a credible source. We're Tour Talk Golf Podcast. Remember, guys, we walk the walk. Now let's talk the talk. See you next week.